all the witnesses. Now, their, their official name, but you raising your hand? Uh, the, the official name of the Jehovah's Witnesses is the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. And when you got a, when you got a title like that, uh, you obviously you're going to be called something else or called Jehovah's Witnesses. But uh, let me give you a brief uh, history of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, Charles Taze Russell, he was called Pastor Russell, began the movement in the 1870s. Uh, his Bible study was known as the Millennial Dawn. He had a, uh, a big emphasis on you know, the end time prophecies and the return of Christ. His followers were originally known as the Russellites. Uh, Russell himself was raised in Orthodox Christianity and, and, and true Biblical Christianity. This is where 1 John 2, 18 and 19 comes into play, where anti-Christ, anti-Christian teachers who were of us but did not remain with us prove that they were really not of us. And so uh, his departing from Christianity proved himself, uh, starting a call, proved himself not to be a true believer. Uh, but he deviated, he began to leave Orthodox Christianity because the uh, eternal torment of the flames of hell uh, seemed unjust to him. Okay? Uh, then he reached the point where he began to believe that Christ's return would be invisible. Now, uh, Pastor Russell's character can, can definitely be called into question. He uh, twice lied under oath at a, at a trial. Uh, he was asked, uh, do you know uh, New Testament Greek, Koine Greek? He said, yes. And they said, are you well trained? In it? Do you know it inside and out? He said, yes. And they brought to him a chart with the Greek alphabet on him, and they asked him to give the letters of the Greek alphabet, and he couldn't do it. So they said, well, let me, let's ask you, let me ask you again, do you know Koine Greek? And he said, no, I do not. And uh, by the way, most Jehovah's Witnesses today do not know, still don't know what those means about Greek. If you've had one year of New Testament Greek, uh, you've got enough to uh, tear them to shreds. The problem is um, they know so little of it, they're probably not going to understand what you're talking about anyway. So, uh, um, uh, Okay, he also, in the courtroom, he denied that he was ever divorced, and so they produced the divorce papers to prove that he was divorced, and then they show that the judge of that divorce trial granted the divorce to his wife because in the judge's decision, uh, Pastor Russell was an egomaniac who was not mentally stable, uh, basically, the judge was questioning Russell's sanity and questioning whether any any human being could live this peacefully under this guy's roof. And uh, it's not a time you know. You go back the early 1900s. That was not a time when you know, they were granted divorce to left and right. No such thing as no fault divorce. Um, character can also be called into question. Uh, since he was sued by a Brooklyn newspaper for fraudulent money-making schemes, I think it was Miracle Weed or something like that. And uh, 
Uh, his prophecy of Armageddon failed in 1914. Um, and he believed that his interpretation of the Bible was the supreme authority. In fact, he said in his commentaries that it's best to read both the Bible and his commentaries. But if a person had to choose one or the other, they should read his commentaries instead of the Bible. If they read the Bible alone without his direction, they'd be led astray. Okay. So the supreme authority was not the Bible. It was the Bible as interpreted by Russell. Okay. Now, uh, Joseph Franklin Rutherford, who was called Judge Rutherford, succeeded Russell as president of the Jehovah's Witnesses in 1917. Uh, he hated all other religions with a passion. He was a powerful speaker like Russell, uh, very persuasive. Um, uh, and he kept Russell's doctrines, but basically erased his name. Now, why did he erase Russell's name from the history of the Jehovah's Witnesses? Uh, because of the guy questionable character. It was a detriment to their growth. You know, uh, I mean, if every time you're trying to get people to join your association, somebody says, oh, wait a minute, I know who you are. You're one of those guys who's following that coup Russell. I mean, it, it kind of makes your efforts, uh, uh, you know, kind of takes away the results there. So, so he basically erased his name. That's why Walter Martin goes out of his way to show what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach and what Russell taught to show that maybe they erased his name, but the doctrines remain the same. And they got their doctrines from Russell, and he really is their founder. Uh, now it's reached the point where I think that once again they are admitting that Russell was their founder. Yeah, they denied any association with them for, for, for quite some time. You know, it's basically, you know, they get together with their people and they say, okay, this is our strategy and it's not, it was their strategy to just pretend that they didn't even know who he was and that there was no real link. And that's just what Christians say. But the evidence now is so overwhelming that now they're kind of shifting gears and beginning to admit once again. You'll find that too with the Mormons, different strategies. Uh, the Mormon strategy was to start calling themselves born-again Christians. And so instead of a frontal assault attacking all other churches as uh, abominations before God, they said, well, you guys are Christians, but we're Christians too. We're born-again Christians. But then they put a halt to that when uh, Brigham Young University, uh, all Mexican students were uh, accepting Jesus as their personal savior. So they had to put a stop to that. <laughs> God forbid that Mormons get saved. Um, okay, um, but uh, so Rutherford, Judge Rutherford kept Russell's doctrine but erased his name. Rutherford was the first to place emphasis on the word Jehovah. Jehovah's Witnesses argue that Jehovah is God's name. That's the only name he can be called by. If you don't call him by that name, you're really not acknowledging the true God, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, Rutherford was a real good uh, replacement for Russell, because just like Russell, his prophecies of Armageddon failed. Uh, Russell's 
the Prophecy Armageddon failed in 1914. Rutherford's uh, Prophecy's Armageddon failed in 1918 and 1925. And then, you know, let's face it, give credit where credit is due. Jehovah's Witnesses, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society is very, very consistent. They have consistently missed uh, Prophecy's Armageddon. I mean, I think the latest was 1975 when they predicted Armageddon. I'm not sure of it. But, uh, and it's amazing how this stuff vanishes from their literature after the predictions are false. <laughs> you know, the day after one of their prophecies fails, you won't see any mention of it. Not even, you know, you won't see the word oops in their writings. You know, they just pretend it never happened. And then you go back to newer editions of older books and they just get this stuff on out of there. Um, but uh, some, uh, I think it's, was it Witness Incorporated, they're, they're former Jehovah's Witnesses who accepted Christ. They can give you literature, little tracts that list every one of the prophecies that uh, the Watchtower Society has built. See, the Watchtower considers itself, its organization, as God's prophet in the last days. And uh, when you read their books, you will find no no name. They stopped, uh, you know, Russell put some things in print and then Rutherford, but eventually they began to realize that uh, it'd be best not to have an author signing. There's no, like, for instance, the New World Translation of Scriptures. Walter Martin said, well, who translated this? You guys don't have any Greek or Hebrew scholars. How could you translate it from the Greek or Hebrew? So he wanted a list of the translators since it's nowhere found in the work. It, it says, see, it says, uh, New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures rendered from the original languages by the New World Bible Translation Committee. So Walter Martin asked, well, who are the guys on this translation committee? And they said something like, well, there's 12 of them, but they refused to give him the name. Well, he, he said, look, I'll give you three hours of airtime in the Bible Amsterdam program, and I'll debate all 12 of you at once. Because he knew they didn't have anybody who knew, knew Greek or Hebrew, or at least who knew it to the extent that they could translate it. They took more than one year of Greek to translate the Testament. Um, uh, but whatever the case, uh, Walter Martin's view, and, and you know, they say, oh, that's, that's not true, but they won't even give the names of the guys on the committee, so what are we supposed to believe? Walter Martin believes that they just got a big table and they got a bunch of the leaders together and they put down all the different translations down and they picked whichever ver whichever one they translation they liked the best for each individual verse and then if they didn't like up, like any of them they just made up their own and uh, but for all practical purposes uh, uh, I don't think there's any other way they could have done it because they do not have the, the scholarship to really do a legitimate translation. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses. 
So I made it onto their list. This guy um, tried to refute us three times. So there's no hope for him. We'll dust the sand off our sandals. He must have blasted the Holy Spirit. Put his name on the list. That's what we're taught to do because the leadership fears, since, since they key on gullible people, the leadership fears that their gullible followers might be led out of. Jehovah's Witness cult. Like, hey, look, there's enough gullible people in the world. We don't need to waste our time on, you know, a guy who knows something about New Testament. Oh, if you want Jehovah's Witnesses out of your house, just quote something in, from New Testament. Like when I go into the Gospel of John, where Thomas sees uh, Jesus risen from the dead, he says, which is literally means the Lord of me and the God of me. Okay. But what he's basically saying is, my Lord and my God. They're using the definite article for God there, of Jesus. And uh, now, they have a comeback to that, which is, they say, oh no, he's just saying, oh my Lord, oh my God. He's really surprised. Well, he would have been taking God's name in vain. Jesus would have corrected him, but Jesus didn't correct him. He says, well, now you see and you believe. The blessed are those who don't see and believe. So he took Thomas to be... That the statement, my Lord and my God, is a confession of faith in Christ. So Thomas, Downing Thomas, is calling Jesus God there. Um, but just the fact that I quoted Greek to them, immediately it was time for them to leave. It's getting late. I said, you know, I've been here for two minutes. <laughs> but then we've got to go. And blah, blah, blah. They're out the door and following on the porch and they're leaving. And it's like, boom, never, never come back again. I, I saw them again in the neighborhood a few weeks later. But they didn't, pass over my house. Uh, the Mormons, now, if there's two people that are going door to door, skip four or five houses and come to my house, then they're Mormons. They say, hey, this guy is knowledgeable, he knows the Bible, he's a pastor, he's influential, he's persuasive. If we can get him, see, you know, bring him young university. See, the Mormons have an emphasis on the academic thing. They, they try to get educated people. People know what they're talking about. Uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, though, it's, it's, they're looking for the gullible people, so it's a whole different approach. But, but getting back to your question, uh, they are so brainwashed. And, and, and when, when we look at some of the cults that are brainwashing cults, the brainwashing techniques of Jehovah's Witnesses is nothing like theirs. I mean, it's just it's. it's it's not even as heavy as Marine Corps boot camp, okay? But basically, they do do their thinking for their people, and they don't want their people to think on their own. Every response given to you, if you say something to Mormon, to, to Joe's witness, uh, if I said to you that I say Mormon, but if, if, if you say the same, same statement, 15 different Joe's witnesses, I guarantee all 15 of them will give you word for word the same response. It's not an original. They're not taught to think on their own. And uh, because of it, any time a Christian says, well, the, the Greek, the only way this sentence could be translated from the Greek is this, because it's coming from a Christian automatically, is biased. And so, so basically they believe, like, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, they are the, the, the instrument of God for this age, the Jehovah's Witness leadership, therefore, they're the only ones who honestly use the Greek. So, even when you point out to their followers the mistakes in, in, in the translation, uh, usually that's taken as one of the clues, okay, the 
this guy is not reachable, he's blasting the Holy Spirit, let's put him on the list and avoid him running. I have a quick little point too. Somebody, I don't remember the, uh, that person from our church, but I know he was somebody of a higher regard respect as the church. He was actually witnessing this morning, and the first two came, and they left, and he had shooting with them and then the next time they come one of them came but they changed out the other guy and what was happening I think this went on three or four different times but what was happening is that they realized that this person from our church knew their scripture and they were bringing in their heavy duty guys and heavier duty guys yeah. heavier duty guys I, uh, I had two Mormons and there's always a Jehovah's Witness will use this too there's always a, a, an experienced Mormon missionary and a rookie. And nine out of ten times the experienced one does all the talking, unless it's the rookie's turn for OJT on the job training. And uh, um, but I had these two guys, Elder Brunsdale, and I can't remember the other guy, two more missionaries came over to the house and uh, I record I told them I'll only talk with you if you let me record and if you let me interrupt you and ask you questions whenever I feel wet. And they said, Fine. They recorded. They were proud of it. I made a copy for them and stuff, and they took it back with them. The next week, when they came over, there was two stern-looking elderly gentlemen with them. The first thing that one of these elderly guys said when he came into the house was, "There will be no recording." And I said, "I said, well, I don't have to let you in my house if we're not going to record." And the guy said, "There'll be no recording. You decide if we can stay here or not." And I thought, "All right, come on in." And uh, uh, basically, the, I've gotten up to seven Mormons in my household, and you usually you know get, yeah, usually when you're getting, you're getting that many, usually about four or five of them are pretty elderly, pretty, uh, pretty stern. Uh, the young guys are, you know, they, they receive some training, the young missionaries are very courteous, and they say nice things to you, but you get some of the older guys, man, they're uh, they don't even crack a smile. You can tell the joke and it's still standing right through you. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, so they're uh, pretty interesting. But anyway, getting back to Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, the thing that Rutherford did was besides emphasizing the word Jehovah that Russell didn't do, uh, Rutherford really stressed the importance of the printed page. I mean, Russell did some writing, but with his commentaries and all, but Rutherford understood if we can really come up with really beautiful artwork, if we could really get pamphlets in people's hands, if we can, you know, that's the, the track society, you know. He really stressed the importance of the printed page, and because of it, uh, Jehovah's Witness called through tremendously under the leadership of Judge Rutherford. Now, uh, Nathan Homer Knorr became president in 1942. Um, all Watchtower literature from that point was written anonymously for good reasons. Because it's always hard to refute an author, author when you don't know who he is. And the Jehovah's will never tell you. I mean, they, they've done things like invented tenses in the Greek that don't really exist. You know, Jesus says, I am who I am. I forget how they translated it in the New World Translation, but uh, but they they invent a tense that just does not exist in Korean Koine Greek. And so when Walter Moore was trying to find, well, who gave you this information? Who is this guy? Let me talk to this guy. I want to 
debate this guy or whatever, well, they never would give the name. So, uh, so it's easy to do that, to just write these books anonymously, but whenever you get their books, their hardcover books with the beautiful artwork, it's just published by them. They never tell you who wrote it because then uh, it makes that guy accountable to, to answer those who uh, disagree with him. Uh, uh, so uh, under Noor, all Watchtower literature is written anonymously, and uh, under Noor came the New World Translation of the Bible, which was a very good move for the Jehovah's Witnesses, because they had such a hard time explaining all the clear passages that deal with the deity of Christ. So what they did was they took a portion of them and just changed them. And uh, uh, it's amazing how many passages they did they failed to change. So you can still prove most Christian doctrines even with their work Bible. Um, but in actuality, uh, you know, instead of a John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, uh, they translate that in the beginning was the Word, uh, and uh, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Okay? And they quote uh, A.T. Robertson, a Greek scholar, totally out of context. Uh, to justify doing that and in the very next paragraph which they don't quote he explains why you can't do that John 1 and certainly in depth of that article but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that a little later how many people here have had in the testament creed? okay so did he do that? okay good okay Frederick, Frederick Franz became president in 1977. He's long considered the leading theologian. I, I don't know. I think France died. So I don't even know who their president is right now. Uh, the headquarters, uh, we'll borrow some of the statistics of Joe's Witnesses, their headquarters is in Brooklyn, New York. Their growth, they're over, they have over 4 million members worldwide and about 4.5 million. They have not been growing a lot. Uh, the growth is for everybody that comes in the front door, somebody leaves out the back door. Um, and uh, so they've got about four and a half million people. Uh, as you can see, looking on page three, the theology, the, the teachings of the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, that they are in a state of denial. They deny just about everything. Um, they deny Christ's deity. They do not believe that Jesus is God. They deny the doctrine of the Trinity. They deny that the Holy, the Holy Spirit's personality is God's active force. He's not a person. Uh, he's not the, uh, a person. They deny Christ's bodily resurrection. They deny salvation by God's grace alone, through Christ alone. They deny the atonement that Jesus' death uh, atones for our sins. Um, they deny Christ's visible return. They deny the existence of the human soul, okay? Uh, they deny eternal conscious torment. They teach annihilation of the wicked instead. Uh, they disrespect uh, human government. They refuse to salute the flag or fight in any war to defend our nation. Of course, I can't remember the last time we fought a war to defend our nation. Every time we fight nowadays, it's for some United Nations cause, but... Uh, it's a whole other story. Um, they have a tremendous misunderstanding concerning God's name. They teach that Jehovah is God's only name. He must be referred to by this name always. 
uh, an organization that has failed in its prophecies time and time again. Uh, we'll talk about their Bible, the New World Translation. We don't have any Greek or Hebrew scholars. It's a version of God's Word. And uh, they're opposed to blood uh, transfusions uh, because the Bible forbids the drinking of blood, yet, uh, yet that has nothing to do with blood transfusions whatsoever. So let's turn back to page three, break this down, and talk a little bit about the theology of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay. Jehovah's Witnesses deny Christ deity. Uh, they teach that Jesus is not the God. He is not God, the second person of the Trinity. They teach that instead Jesus is a lesser God. Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus is Michael the Archangel. He is God's first creation who then created everything else. Okay? Um, let me say this, the Seventh-day Adventists also teach that Jesus is Michael the Archangel. The problem with the Seventh-day Adventists is they miss... Their problem is uh, more a misunderstanding of Michael the Archangel. Jehovah's Witnesses, their problem is a misunderstanding of Jesus because the, the Seventh-day Adventists admit that Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity but they think that Michael the Archangel is Jesus, okay? The Mormons, I mean the Jehovah's Witnesses acknowledge that Michael the Archangel is not God and, and they believe that Jesus is Michael the Archangel, so Jesus is not God, okay? So, so even though there's some confusion with the Seventh-day Adventists, at least the Seventh-day Adventists admit Jesus is God, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses deny that. Um, well, a lot can be said about this. I, I've got a decent amount of passages there on that page, but if you break out the deity of Christ, or just flip back and forth to page three there, to uh, the page, a couple pages earlier that deals with the deity of Christ. Let me see if I can give you a an overview here. Uh, in John 1 1, uh, well, first, first point is the apostle, the apostles called Jesus God. The apostle John referred to Jesus as God in John 1 1. He said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then verse 14, the Word became flesh. We know they're talking about Jesus, so he's saying Jesus existed before anything was created. He existed with God the Father. In fact, Jesus was equal with God the Father because Jesus himself is God. God the second person of the Trinity. Um, we don't have time to turn there, but in 1 John chapter 5, 20, chapter 5, verse 20, uh, John also refers to Jesus as God there. Second Peter 1 1, Peter refers to Jesus as our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul in Romans 9 5, the best translation of 
It's a tough passage to translate. Does anybody have the NIV? Okay, uh, Shane, if you could turn to uh, Romans 9, 5. Romans 9, verse 5. And we're going to read that verse. Those are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Yeah. So he says that, talking about the human ancestry of Christ, so Christ is fully human, but he says that he is God, Christ, who is God over all, and, and that basically he should be praised forever. Uh, a difficult passage to translate, but... Uh, the majority of Greek scholars say that that's the way it should have been uh, translated. So in Romans chapter 9, verse 5, uh, Jesus is called God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, you can open up to that. So, so John calls Jesus God. Peter calls Jesus God. Now we're going to see that Paul calls Jesus God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. And uh, Rory, if you could read that. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. God's electric uh, power company. Having said to yourselves, which was also Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not think our equality with God a thing to grasp, but emptied himself into the form of the monster, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearances of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, and even death on the cross. Okay. So it says we need to have the same attitude as, as Jesus had. And that even though Jesus existed in form as God, basically the, the NIV puts it best that he existed in nature as God. Okay? So very clearly saying that Jesus is God. But he didn't cling. He chose not to cling to his uh, privileges as God. He was willing to leave the throne room of God and to humble himself. That's what we're talking about. Uh, but made himself with no reputations, the kenosis. The word means uh, that he emptied himself. But the word is never really used in a literal way. He didn't empty himself of his deity. Uh, what it means is to empty oneself of one's reputation. So he humbled himself by becoming a man. It was a very humbling experience for God to become a man and to share in the frailties of human nature to be hungry and to be tired. Uh, but it tells us that even though Jesus is in nature God, and it actually is continues, the tense is continuous here, so, so even though he continues to exist in form as God, okay? By the way, our word form today, when we think of form today, we think of something physical, a physical form of something, okay? So a statue is a statue of George Washington. We think of the form as the statue itself, the heart of itself. Not so with the ancient Greek mind. 
the word form would be used for uh, if something was formless you already have the physical stuff okay like uh, like Plato but it, it's without form and when you mold that Plato into what you want it to be that gives it the form so the form is the idea that gets projected onto the Plato and, and whereas when it's formless it has no there's no design to it at all and so it's basically it's saying that Jesus exists continues to exist in form as God Jesus is he bears the classification falls under the classification of God he has the character of God he is God but still he didn't cling to his privileges as God but he humbled himself basically voluntarily chose not uh, to use divine attributes that he continued to have okay but he voluntarily chose not to tap into him for a short while while on earth uh, and uh, basically became a man for the purpose of dying on the cross for our sins but it's very clear in this passage that Jesus exists uh, as God Jesus is God the second person of the Trinity Colossians 2 9 Paul says for in him uh, Colossians 2 9 for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form okay and so yes Jesus and by the way Paul is saying this after Christ's ascension and he's still saying that Jesus had a bodily form at this point so Jesus uh, you know isn't, isn't just a spirit like Jehovah's Witnesses teach uh, he still has a body at the same time all the fullness of deity everything that could be said about God could be said about Jesus because Jesus is fully God um, Titus 2.13 Paul refers to Jesus as our great God and Savior Jesus Christ um, this is what is called by the way the Granville Sharps rule the Granville Sharps rule of Koine Greek and what it tells us you can't say our great God comma and Savior Jesus Christ the way the structure is with the Greek word Kai the word N N A N D it demands that when our great God and Savior Jesus Christ God both God and Savior are referring to Jesus in that passage it can't be any other way okay the, the rules of Greek grammar demand that Jesus is, is, is entitled same thing can be said about that passage we talked about 2 Peter 1 1 our God and Savior Jesus Christ same grandful sharp will demand that now we'll look at the predicate nominative rule when we get to John 1 1 okay and uh, when we when we talk about John 1 1 a little bit later about some of the problem passages of Joe's witnesses um, in Acts chapter 20 verse 28 Paul was giving a sermon he talks about how God purchased the church with his blood well if Jesus is not God when did God believe 
Okay? So it's pretty clear there that uh, Jesus is being referred to. So what was your supposed to be a reference? It's Acts 20, verse 28. It's on the, the Dedian Christ page. It's a point C, the last verse there. Uh, Doubting Thomas, John chapter 20, verses 26 to 29. When he saw Jesus and Jesus appeared to him, he said, My Lord and my God, and literally said, The Lord of me and the God of me. Um, sometimes, kurios, the word for Lord in the Greek, not always, sometimes it just means master, like the human master, but, but sometimes it means Yahweh or Jehovah. And that's obviously in that context, he's calling Jesus is Yahweh and his Elohim, his Lord and his God. Uh, and then Jesus didn't say, oh, he didn't correct him because he thought he was taking God's name in vain, saying, oh, my Lord, oh, my God. Instead, uh, he said, okay, well, now that you see me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen me and, and, and believe. So he was acknowledging this was a confession of faith in him. And Matthew, in chapter 1, verses 20 to 23, uh, Matthew quotes from Isaiah that this child would be born uh, to what they refer to Jesus would be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so basically saying that Jesus uh, uh, is worthy to wear the title of Emmanuel, God with us. Um, you could add to this list... Uh, Matthew 28, 20, where Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, the only way that, that, that Jesus could be with us always uh, would be if he's omnipresent. Well, how can you be omnipresent unless you're God? Uh, another passage that would be good to add here is Jude, verse 4. Jude referred to Jesus as our only Master and Lord. Now, how can Jesus be our only Master and Lord if He's not God? Because then God wouldn't be our Master and Lord. Jesus would be. So, uh, that's real important there. Okay. Um, uh, the old, but uh, it goes beyond this. Not only did the apostles call Jesus God, the Old Testament prophets also called Jesus God. Um, Isaiah 7.14, when he said the baby that will be born of the virgin, his name should be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now Isaiah 9.6, in fact, turn to Isaiah 9.6. This is a dynamite passage on the deity of Christ. In fact, some of my favorite passages on the deity of Christ are Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses admit that Jesus is the Messiah, but they reject that Jesus is God. So the Old Testament prophecies predict that the Messiah is God, or teach that the Messiah is God. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 uh, says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7 says, Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, 
order it, establish it, establish it with judge, judgment and justice, from that time forwarding forevermore the deal of the Lord of Moses and the Mormons. He's going to sit on the throne of David. It's obviously the Messiah. It's obviously talking about Jesus, who you now was 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. Okay? But it says about this child who's going to be born, the son is going to be given. He is called Mighty God. The Jehovah's Witnesses argue here, yeah, he's a mighty God, but he is not the almighty God. Well, there's a problem with that because in Isaiah 10, same context, verses 20 and 21, okay, talks about Israel and all men, uh, talks about depending on the Lord, the Holy One uh, of Israel and truth. And then in verse 21 it says, the remnant will return the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. So uh, everybody, including Jehovah's Witnesses, agree that who's being spoken about here is uh, God the Father. Uh, and in fact, uh, the Lord there, the word Lord in the passage, verse 20, is all the letters are capital, which means that's Yahweh, that's Jehovah. So Jehovah is referred to as Mighty God. And so this idea that the Almighty God cannot be referred to as Mighty God is ludicrous. Jesus is sharing in Isaiah 9, 6, the same title that is given to Yahweh in Isaiah 10, verses 20 and 21. Um, let me see. Isaiah 44, 6. This is not written in your notes. Isaiah 44, 6. Uh, it says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel. Now, Lord is all the letters are capitalized, so it's, it means Yahweh, Jehovah, the official name of God. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord, the Yahweh of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Beside me, there is no God. And, Anything but Trinity, there's no way to explain that passage whatsoever unless you hold to the doctrine of the Trinity. Because what's being spoken about is they look, there's only one God, and the Lord, the King, Yahweh, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, Yahweh of hosts, we are the one God. I mean, so you obviously have a plurality of persons in the one God, but the fact of the matter is the Redeemer is also Yahweh. Okay. By the way, you get a chance to read the beginning, the front part of your Bible, to usually explain that when Lord is spelled in the Old Testament in all capital letters, that it, it's the translation of Yahweh or, or Jehovah. That will help go a long way to help you in refuting Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, let me see, Isaiah 66. 15 and 16 also not written in your notes. Uh, so behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury, uh, his rebuke with flames of fire. 
by fire and by his sword, the Lord will judge all flesh, and the slain of the Lord will be many. All the times that the word Lord is mentioned, it's Yahweh there. It's obviously talking about the second coming of Christ. Okay. Um, and the list goes on and on with passages we could use there. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, talking about Christ predicting he's going to be born in Bethlehem. It, it basically tells us that he is from the ancient of days or from uh, the age of eternity or whatever. But whatever the case, the language is saying that this, this babe born in the manger is an eternal person. The only way to be an eternal person is just to be God. Uh, look at Zechariah chapter 14, the Old Testament book of Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah 12.10. This is plastered so all over the Bible that sometimes we just fail to see it because it's, it's just so obvious, so blatant, but we often miss the most obvious things. But in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, it says, uh, God is speaking, okay? And he says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, then they will look on me, whom they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for her. But right there in the passage, we're told they will look on me, whom they have. God speaking, he says, and they will look on me, whom they have pierced. When was God the Father ever pierced? He wasn't. So God is speaking, and he, and he says that they will look on me, whom they have pierced. But in Zechariah chapter 14, it's an obvious reference to second coming of Christ. It talks about it in verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. And all nations are going to gather for battle against Jerusalem, and then the Lord is going to return and fight for the nation uh, of Israel.